Hey, thanks so much for listening to this message. My name is Jason, and I'm one of the ministers here at the Madison Church of Christ. It's our hope and prayer that the teaching you hear today will bless your life and draw you closer to God. If you're ever in the Madison area, we'd love for you to stop by and study the Bible with us on Sundays at 5 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you have questions about the Bible or want to know more about the Madison Church, you can find us online at madisonchurch.org. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast as well as our sermons podcast, Madison Church of Christ Sermons. Thanks again for stopping by. I hope this study is a blessing to you. We are excited tonight. If you're visiting with us, we have a guest speaker with us from the Mayfair Church of Christ. His name is Jason Bybee, and uh, he is a a passionate fellow, a guy who believes in reaching out and sharing the gospel of Jesus. Uh, He's a good friend of mine. Our boys played baseball together, and I think probably the thing that I love most about Jason is just he's the same guy everywhere you see him. I mean, you go out to the ball field, you're going to see the same guy that you're going to see when he gets up to preach. And that level of consistency um, is something that I think is praiseworthy. And I really, really appreciate him. I'm so thankful for him being here tonight. We couldn't be more excited about you coming up and sharing with us, Jason. All right. Well, good evening. It's so good to see all of you here tonight. I really uh, appreciate the invitation to come and spend a little bit of time with you all here tonight. Uh, I'm grateful uh, anytime I have a chance to spend a little time with uh, with God's people, especially middle of the week, this is something that uh, we always look forward to. But I, I'm especially grateful for this church and for the fact that, uh, for, for me at least, I, I feel a real sense of partnership uh, with you all. I know uh, our elders at Mayfair and your elders here spent some time recently together kind of talking and, and praying. Our shepherds have been uh, trying to interact more with different uh, uh, elders and congregations around throughout Madison County, just so we can pray together and encourage each other in this work that we have. You know, it is an exciting time to live in this area. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that here in just a minute. Uh, there, there are so many things happening. You can't look around this, uh, especially Madison, certainly in Huntsville as well. Anywhere you look, it's like they're moving dirt and roads are under construction and they're building houses and there's industries moving in left and right. And they say that all of these uh, places, you know, New York and, and LA, they're just pumping tens of millions of dollars into this area to invest and to build. And all that's really, really exciting, you know, in so many ways. Uh, except for the traffic, that's not so great, right? But uh, no, it's an exciting time, but, uh, but we need as brothers and sisters and fellow congregations to partner together for the sake of the gospel in the midst of those exciting times. And so I'm really, really grateful for the Madison Church, grateful to your uh, elders and to this ministry team for inviting me to come and spend a little bit of time with you here tonight. Uh, I know, uh, I've known Brandon for many, many years. He's right, our boys have played a lot of ball together and I've always had a deep appreciation for Brandon and uh, recently gotten to know Andrew and uh, appreciate him as well. And so it's just, uh, we had Jason Helton over a couple of weeks ago and he recorded a podcast for us at Mayfair. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of connections that we have and continue to, to have. I appreciate you all and appreciate this church. If you have a Bible, we're going to spend a little bit of time tonight in 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, I'll let you kind of turn there before we jump in and, and, and read it. And I will try to do the same thing, get my Bible open to it. Second Kings uh, chapter 6, and tonight I want to talk to you especially over these next few minutes about uh, vision, and in particular, we want to talk about seeing as the Lord sees, trying to see things the way God sees things. So that's, that's really kind of what's going on here. A little background before we dive in here uh, and read. What, what we'll read about here 
takes place in a period of time where the kingdom of Syria is making war against Israel. Your Bible might use the word Syria. It might use the word Aram, A-R-A-M. Same, same thing, okay? So Syria, I'm just going to call it the kingdom of Syria just for simplicity's sake. So the king of Syria makes all these plans, these battle plans with his war council. He'll, he'll come up with these plans to attack uh, Israel. And so every time that this happens, you read about it there in the first part of this chapter, every time the king of Syria comes up with these plans to attack Israel, God thwarts those plans supernaturally. God takes those plans and communicates them to the prophet Elisha. And so the prophet Elisha in Israel goes to Israel's king and he tells Israel's king all about the king of Syria's plans and at every move the king of Syria's plans are thwarted. And so eventually the king of Syria begins to think that he has a spy on his war council. So he has this this thought that somebody is ratting me out. But one of his servants corrects his misunderstanding. And as far as I can tell, this servant must have had some sort of supernatural understanding here too. It seems as if God has communicated something to this servant, because how else would he know this? He tells the king, look, you don't have a spy on your war council, but what you do have is you have a problem in Israel. There's this prophet named Elisha. And everything that you say, even the things that you speak in the privacy of your own bedroom, the Lord reveals that to the prophet Elisha. And so the king realizes that he has this this problem. And so uh, the king sends his horses and his, his chariots to seize Elisha, who happens to be living in the city of Dothan. Did you know that Dothan is in the Bible? Some of you did. Uh, When I hear Dothan, I think of peanuts and wiregrass. That's what I think of, South Alabama. This is a different kind of Dothan altogether. This is Dothan that is uh, in the region of Samaria. It's a little north of Samaria, if that helps you. So anyway, Elisha knows the king's every move. So here's the king's grand plan He, uh, the king of Syria, makes this move to take out Elisha, who knows his every move. (laughs) Doesn't seem like he really thought that one through very well. But he sends these horses, he sends these chariots to Elisha's uh, house in Dothan. And here's what happens next. We're in 2 Kings chapter 6. We'll start in verse uh, 15. We'll read 15 through 19 together. When the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha, so when Elisha's servant rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, and he said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I'll bring you back. Excuse me, I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. 
Uh, this story is all about seeing and not seeing. It's pretty clear that's, that's what's going on here. It's one of the major themes in this particular passage of Scripture. Who sees and who doesn't see? Uh, so we start with this servant. Elisha has this servant, probably a young boy, to help the, the older man, the older prophet. And so uh, this servant goes outside in the morning, and he's, he's taking care of his chores. Maybe he's drawing water for the day. I don't know. There's a lot of different things he might be doing. He goes out in the morning, and he, and he looks out, and he sees the Syrian army surrounding the city. He's not, not just surrounding Elisha's house, but surrounding the city. And so understandably, he's afraid. I mean, you can imagine if you got up in the morning and you went out to, uh, I don't know, does anybody go out and get the paper anymore? <laughs> I don't know if that's even a thing. You go outside for some reason you know, to let the dogs out, to water the, the flowers out front, or whatever it might be, and, and you look out and you see a SWAT team and, and tanks surrounding your neighborhood you're understandably going to be a little upset about that. And that's the situation with this young servant. So he sees this. He goes running back inside. He's filled with anxiety. He's frantic. So he comes to Elisha and he says, Master, what are we going to do? What, what, what are we going to do? This, this is an anxious situation. This circumstance has produced this anxiety in Elisha's servant. In fact, if you just pause right here, all the major players so far are filled with some anxiety. Uh, you have the king of Syria who's anxious because Elisha always knows his plans and they're always being thwarted, so this anxiety prompts him to come up with this you know, plan to go, go take the man who knows everything that he whispers even in his bedroom, but that's an anxious response. And then you see Elisha's servant, well, he's filled with anxiety. He thinks he's hitched his wagon up to the wrong horse. You know, I've... I've I've decided to serve this man who I thought was a prophet, but instead it's going to get me killed. You know, what are we going to do? And so his anxiety is at a, uh, at a boiling point here too. But unlike the king of Syria or the servant, we see here Elisha. And Elisha's pretty unperturbed. Uh, he seems pretty calm and cool and collected. Uh, he's what we like to call a non-anxious presence. You heard that language before. You know, that in the middle of, of the craziness, no matter how anxious the circumstances might be, there, there are some who either kind of have this natural sort of tendency or, or maybe they've learned some techniques that allow them to just kind of remain calm, to remain kind of calm, cool, and collected. Uh, I admire people like that. I work with a, a gentleman who's a licensed marriage and family therapist. He got this degree because he knew he wanted to spend a lot of time working with college students, and he wanted to really encourage them at this you know, special period in their lives to be able to really fortify them in the decisions that they made and choosing a spouse and getting married and all these kinds of things. And uh, over the course of 15 or so years of working with Doug, is his name, Doug Smith, uh, I've seen him in so many different situations where some of the rest of us might respond uh, a little more out of the anxiety or the passion of the moment. Sometimes I'm guilty of that. You don't have to raise your hand. I'll confess for all of us, okay? But uh, Brandon's spent enough time on the ball field with me to know sometimes that, that coaching side of you kind of comes out and you kind of just react. But somebody like Doug who has this like, calm presence. I remember one time we were having this interaction with somebody and, and, uh, and this, this person was you know, 
kind of being a little ugly and, and crossing a, a couple of lines and some of the comments that they were making. And I kind of leaned forward and I was about to say something and Doug just put his hand out, put his hand on my hand, which one was a little weird for me as a guy, okay? <laughs> like redirect my anger. No, but he put his hand on my hand and then he kind of in this calm voice just spoke and it just diffused the anxiety, it, even my own, <laughs> even, even a little bit of my you know, aggravation at the moment. He just had that kind of, that kind of calm presence, a non-anxious presence. And that's what I see in Elisha. He's just this sort of calm presence. And, and with Elisha, it's not that he can't go there. If you know the story of Elisha, you know he's got a, he has a, a, a temper, right? Remember the whole deal about the kids who were calling him? You know, the fact that he's bald? Remember how that one ended? Go look that one up. I don't have time to get into it. But, you know, it's, so it's not that he doesn't, he can't like go there with that snap kind of reaction. But Elisha, maybe over the course of time, has learned something. He's learned how to see things at a different level. He's learned how to see things the way that the Lord sees them. And so he sees something here that keeps him just calm. He's not anxious. He's not worried, even though one of the superpowers of the world has rolled up to his front door, he's fine. You want a faith like that? That is almost like that, that sort of like unshakable level of faith, you know? Like that is, that is not a faith that wavers. That is rock solid. And so I, I want to know what Elisha knows. I want to see what Elisha sees, don't you? Because... There's, there's, there's something about that that is really appealing, okay? So, uh, Elisha says to the servant who comes in all anxious, he says, do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Okay, all of these chariots and all of these soldiers, I don't know how many, but we, we estimate it's at least dozens, could be hundreds, you know, maybe as many as a thousand, I don't know. But they've come and they're surrounding the home there and Elisha says, there are more on our side than there are on their side. Now, if I'm the servant boy, I might be thinking, what? I, I, I don't know what kind of math they teach you in Dothan, okay? Uh, but, but this math does not add up, even by preacher count standards, okay, this math is way, way off. There are two of us, as far as I can tell, and a whole lot of them, and they have more chariots, and they have more weapons. You know, again, I don't know. But, the, but Elisha, he's not responding to any of that. He says, look, don't, don't worry. There are more of us than there are of them. And what Elisha does next is really, really important. He prays. You caught that as we were reading it, right? He prays. And it's really important because prayer always precedes vision. Any kind of, any kind of vision, you know, that, that we have in, in front of us that we see, we read about in the scriptures, you know, this, it, it's, always, it's always preceded with this prayer, with coming to God, with asking for God to reveal something. We live in a culture, we live in a time where it's really popular to hear that you know, if you want to find out your true identity, your true personhood, what do you do? You look within. You just kind of you like peel back the layers of self, but then you root around in there long enough, and you'll figure out kind of who you are and who you're meant to be. This is the mantra of our culture, that the real you is somewhere in there, and so if you'll just look inward, 
You'll find it, and then you follow your truth. You follow your identity, all this kind of stuff. Okay? And uh, you, you, when you start to kind of listen for those sorts of stories, you see that they permeate our culture. But the biblical story is a real gift to us because it tells us that truth doesn't emanate from within you and me. You know, truth doesn't come from following your own heart. In fact, if you listen to what the Bible has to say, the Bible will tell you that following your heart will kind of lead you astray plenty of times. Jeremiah, for instance, says that the human heart is full of deception. It means it's a, it's a pretty crummy GPS for your soul sometimes, you know? The heart will lead you astray every time because we may think we want something, we may think that that's even something really, really good for us. And then we get it and we realize, mm, that wasn't exactly what I needed. That was a poor choice. Or we realize that wasn't that really wasn't all it was cracked up to be and we have to have more and more and more. Have you ever been there before? You think, if I just get that job, if I get that promotion, if I have that relationship, if I have that car, if I have, if I have X, Y, Z, man, my life will be complete, you know? If I just get that one thing, and then you get it and it's so hollow. You're kind of like, that's... That's it. I worked all that way for that. Like, I was focused so much on that, and it's empty, and it's hollow, and it, and it reinforces the truth of the Scriptures. What the writer of Ecclesiastes has to say, vanity. I focus so much time there on this, and it ends up being a vain pursuit. Following your heart will do that to you, because truth doesn't emanate from within one's own self. According to the Scriptures, we needed, we were so lost, we're so broken, we're so marred by sin and so confused in our thinking that we were dead, Paul says, in our sins and our transgressions. We weren't pretty good people who just needed a Savior to come and clean up the stuff we couldn't handle on our own. Paul says, no, we were dead in our sins and our transgressions until Jesus Christ came, the one who reveals truth to us, who is the embodiment of truth, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth comes from not within ourselves, but from without Truth has to be revealed to us from on high, from beyond. That's what, like, why the scriptures are such a gift, right? Because God doesn't leave us in the dark, but instead he reveals his truth to us, first in the person of Jesus, and second in these scriptures that reflect who he was, who he is to this very day. And so that's the kind of sight that we're striving for, to be able to, to kind of see at that sort of level comes here in this story through prayer. Seeing this deeper reality Elisha prays for. Um, Elisha prays, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And suddenly this servant has his eyes open and he sees the surrounding mountains are filled with these horses and these chariots of fire. And uh, sometimes we sing songs about God being the God of angel armies. And we see that being played out here. The Lord has sent his host. The king of Syria is not the only king who sent troops to poor little Dothan. No, God himself has dispatched angels. And they are surrounding this army, surrounding the house of Elisha. And the servant is able to see what presumably Elisha was able to see all along. And that's when the servant realizes, oh, you're right. Those who are with us truly are more than those who are with them. And this whole episode is kind of a, a story version, a narrative version of what Paul says over in the New Testament in Romans chapter 8. When he says, if God is for us, do you remember this one, Romans 8 verse 31? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? If we have a God like this on our side, Paul is saying, boy, what do we have to fear? Who could really stand against the people of God when we have God on our side? It's a beautiful, beautiful thought. So uh, God was in complete control here, was he not? Would you agree? In this whole scenario, there's never a point where it's in doubt whether or not God is in control. These angel armies had been there all along. Uh, they, their their uh, presence there wasn't contingent upon the servant boy seeing them. They would have been there all along, right? God was right where he was supposed to be. God's angel armies were right there where they were supposed to be too. God was in control the whole time. And this is just one story of how many in the scriptures that reinforce that concept for us, that idea for us? Talking to some students the other day, and we were kind of talking through the book of Revelation. We always have questions about the book of Revelation. My son called me today. I guess he has some sort of assignment at school, but he was like, Dad, what, uh, I've got just a real quick question for you. Uh, what's the Antichrist? I was like, real, real quick question, right? Son, what's the Antichrist? See if I can bail that up in you know, 20 seconds for you. Give me a break. Um, so the book of Revelation, there's all these questions. We have a lot of questions. You know, what's going on in Revelation? What's going on? And, and to be fair, there's a lot in there that requires some interpretation, okay? Um, I'll let Brandon and Andrew do that, <laughs> you know, some other time. Uh, but, but what's really, really clear in the book of Revelation that I think God wants us to, to know before we, we finish reading this and before we you know, kind of fold it, put it down, and move on. What's really, really clear in the book of Revelation is this, the throne of God. Go read Revelation sometimes. Uh, sometime, okay? There are some things happening there that are just strange. Okay? There are candlesticks. Uh, you know, there's, there, there, there are all these um, you know, callbacks to the Old Testament uh, stories. Okay, a lot of allusions back to the Old Testament. There's even this one part uh, in chapter 12 where there's this pregnant lady, and she's on the run, and this dragon is chasing her. Okay, um, Believe it or not, that's in the Bible. There's this pregnant lady, and she's on the run from this dragon. And you know, So we have interpretations of what that is, but that requires a lot of study. But what's undeniable about Revelation, whatever you think about you know, candlesticks and, and dragons and, and the pregnant lady, okay, what's undeniable is the throne of God is this central image. Forty times in the book of Revelation, the throne of God is mentioned. And it's like John has this vision, and he sees these wild things happening on earth. You know, the dragon and the beast and all this sort of stuff. And, and he has this vision, and then right about the time, you're kind of wondering, what is all of that? Then he'll snap, and he'll have this other vision, and he sees what's happening in heaven. And you know what's happening in heaven? God is on his throne. And he's being worshipped. He's being praised. He's right there where he's always been, you know. And then we'll snap back, and it's some other crazy wild thing, war and fighting, and then and back over here, and God is on his throne. And maybe the martyrs are crying out, how much longer, Lord? And God says, just a little longer. I've got a plan. Just hang with me. But the whole time, God is in control, and it's undeniable, you know. And man, that, that is such a message for the church in these days, you know. Because we've lived through some circumstances over the last couple of years that have felt an awful lot like just these wild, crazy, weird things, you know? They've been difficult. There's been a price to pay. There's been some brokenness that's come out of all of this, and it's been tough. And we might lament that, we might bemoan that, and then we might, you know, 
have different feelings on some of all of that, but let's remember, especially as God's people, that when we go through these circumstances that are maybe undesirable, that has no bearing on God being on the throne because he's just as much God today as he always has been. And until this world stops spinning and he brings all of history to a halt, he'll continue to be the same God who sits upon his throne, who is worthy of our praise and our adoration. And so that is, a, that is a clear message in the book of Revelation, one that I think we could really benefit from, no matter how you want to interpret all the other stuff. Okay. Um, so God is in complete control here, and the servant finally has eyes to see that. Elisha sees all of this at a different, at a different place. Uh, we can infer from his prayer that he had seen all of this all along. But, um, but when Elisha prays and the servant's eyes are opened, uh, this young man is able to see three realities that I think are important that we can take away from this. Uh, he sees the presence of God, he sees the protection of God, and he sees the power of God. Uh, sometimes we need to be reminded that God is, is present. Um, Jesus is Emmanuel. We read about him in uh, Matthew. Matthew calls back to Isaiah to tell us that he is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Emmanuel, of course, meaning God is with us. And so in, uh, in Jesus, we get this promise, this, this fulfillment where God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And if Matthew was the only gospel that you had, what I find really interesting is that the gospel that stresses Jesus as Emmanuel is also the one that ends here without an ascension back into heaven, even though Matthew knew about it, he was present, he was there, but the Holy Spirit doesn't tell Matthew to record that. Instead, the last thing you see Jesus saying in Matthew, you remember? Of course, it's the Great Commission. We take that seriously, right? But he says, I will be with you always. If Matthew was the only gospel you ever read, you'd be left with the impression that Jesus is still Emmanuel, he's still with us, he's still animating the work that happens in the church, that's the impression you'd be left with. And that's true. Of course, he has ascended into heaven, you know, that's undeniable. And yet, in a way, Jesus, the, the, the promise is still valid because he is still with us. He is still present. In Revelation, he's present among those lampstands which represent those churches. And so he's, he's here. Not in the way that he was when he was full, you know, walking on the earth, right? And yet, he's here. Wherever two or more are gathered, right? Didn't he say that one? <laughs> yeah. And so, he, so he's here. And he promises to be present with his people. And so maybe some of us come in here this, this week, you know, we come in here tonight, and we are just burdened and stressed and anxious, kind of like the, the players in this story. Maybe the word we need to hear tonight is this, that God it's present, just as he always has been with his people. Other times we need to be reminded that God protects his people. We have an enemy, and that enemy is strong. And that enemy is stronger than you, and he's stronger than me. I like to pretend maybe that's not the case, but he is. The evil one, Satan, he is strong. And every week, I think we grow weary, don't we, from hearing about Satan winning another victory bringing someone else down, winning some kind of battle that we wish that he didn't have a foothold in. You know, sometimes we just get, we can, if we're not careful, if we don't have the promises of God to sustain us, we might look at the scoreboard, we might look at, you know, current events, and we might feel like, wow, man, 
the people of God are just taking it in the teeth. You ever feel that way? You feel like you know the, the, the righteous just don't prevail and it seems as if there's only one way to get ahead and that's to play by another set of rules other than, than these? Yeah, I mean, that, we, we see that. We feel that sometimes in our weaker moments. And yet God promises to not just be present, he promises to protect us. Think about all the resources God has given us to help protect us as his people. This is another part of seeing as the Lord sees. He's given us his word, which acts as a defense, a protection against the deception of the evil one, his lies. You start to buy those lies, boy, man, that can be really, really bad. Uh, but, But the word of God is that protection that he provides for us. Certainly he provides for us each other. He provides the church, those godly relationships to help guide us. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us as well, to help in this battle against our enemy. So maybe the word you need to hear tonight is that God does indeed act to protect his people. It helps me to think of him as the good shepherd, to think of Jesus as the one who stands at the gate, you know, who stands there in the gap protecting the sheep. That's a powerful image. And, and, and maybe, maybe you come in tonight and you feel just battered and beaten up. You need to just, just hear the promise of God that the Lord is the one. He's the good shepherd and he does protect because he's good, because he wants what's good for his people. The phrase that you see repeated in the scriptures more than any other, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And other times we need to be reminded of the power of God. It's only by the power of God that we have the promise of eternal life. We ought to remember, no matter how crazy things get, no matter what circumstance might be going on that we wish was different, we believe this story that somewhere on the other side of the world there's an empty tomb. There used to be a body in that tomb, and now it's empty. (laughs) And on that Sunday morning, he crawled up out of that tomb, and his heart started beating again, and he rose victorious over sin and death and the devil himself. And that has to have some sort of bearing in how we react when things on earth don't go the way we want. We believe in a story that says he can bring life out of the most lifeless places of all, a grave. So, yeah, I, I, I want that kind, of, that kind of faith of Elisha who sees the power of God the way that he does. And I have this story that I've heard in my situation most of my life that is indeed the power of God unto salvation, right? So maybe tonight what we need to be reminded of is that God is present, that he protects, he's powerful. Maybe that, maybe that blesses you in some way tonight. Uh, but that's not where this story ends. And uh, I almost faked you out. We were ready to like offer the invitation there, you know? I saw some of you reaching for the songbooks. No, that's not where the story ends, Okay. I want, to, I want to keep going just a little bit. Are we good on time? Yeah, we're good. Okay. Because um, I'll talk until you tell me not to. Uh, I, want to I want to read, stay in 2 Kings, okay? Because there's a little more to this story that we didn't look at. Now I want to focus on uh, verses 20 through 23, okay? Um, before we read that, Elisha, as you, as you saw there, he, he prays this prayer for the servant, but then he prays another prayer. He prays that... Uh, that the Syrian army would be blinded. 
But the language scholars who study this, they say it's not just an ordinary kind of blindness that they're referring to here. Uh, The original language is something along the lines of smite them with dazzlings. That's a funny sounding sentence. (laughs) Lord, smite them with dazzlings. Um, Elisha prays that the Syrians would be blinded by light that their vision would be a little bit distorted, that it would be altered. Uh, as we read, then Elisha leads them to Samaria. Okay, He says, this isn't the place you're supposed to be. He leads them to Samaria, uh, the capital city of the kingdom of Israel. Now look with me, starting in verse 20 of 2 Kings 6. Uh, as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. When they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. So soon as, uh, as the Syrians are inside Samaria, Elisha prays another prayer, the third prayer he's prayed. And he says, O Lord, open the eyes of these men. So he prays first that they would be smitten by dazzlings. <laughs> uh, and then he prays, okay, Lord, would you now open their eyes? And the Lord answered his prayer, and these men were able to see clearly. And there's this, I don't know, instructive kind of move in my mind for the way Elisha deals with these outsiders. These are people who don't believe in the God of Israel. He prays that their vision would be distorted just for a moment, you know? that they would temporarily be dazzled by the light of the Lord, that they'd see something that would just kind of disrupt their normal flow of vision just for a second, and that this would ultimately lead to them seeing more clearly in the end. It's kind of my take on that whole story there. And I think that is a really great model for us as we think about how to interact with people who are outside the church. Think we pray just like Elisha does, that the way they've been seeing life would be temporarily disrupted somehow by the light of God's glory in some way that God sees fit. And we pray that then God would help them see the reality more clearly, the reality of his presence and his protection and his power more clearly than once before. When the king of Israel suggests that they kill these enemy troops, he's filled with anxiety too. Do you notice he says it twice? Shall we kill them? Shall we kill them? You know, he's just like chomping at the bit, ready to, you know, shed some blood, I guess. And, and Elisha rebukes him. He says, yeah, we're, we're not going to do that. That's not what we're going to do at all. Instead, Elisha says something really radical. Verse 23, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. To me, this is really incredible because uh, Elisha shows hospitality to these outsiders who, uh, at the beginning of the story, were sent to Dothan to kill him, or at least seize him and take him back to the king. Um, They were at least bent on capturing him, possibly killing him, but uh, earthly vision would mandate you retaliate there. 
somebody does that to you, that's what you do back, you know? Um, my dad was a godly man. He loved the Lord and, uh, and loved the church. But first day of kindergarten, he gave me permission. He said, anybody messes with you, son, just, you know, you hit him in the nose. I don't care, you know. Like, my mom was always preaching, you know, do unto others. And uh, for the most part, they were on the same page, except for that one. And man, it messed me up, you know. <laughs> it's like, who do I listen to? Uh, and so, you know, earthly wisdom would say, you know, yeah, punch them once in the nose and they'll leave you alone. Earthly wisdom would say, somebody comes to, you know, take your home, uh, defend it and retaliate. Life for life. They tried to kill us, so let's take them out. But, but again, this story is about how God sees, and so there's this vision that Elisha has that transcends all of that. He doesn't see with earthly vision. He sees, I think, with God's vision and God's way of seeing. These aren't outsiders so much. They're not enemies to be destroyed. They're people to be loved. People in need of grace, people worthy of love. This is yet another narrative form of something Paul would go on to preach in Ephesians chapter 6, for the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms, he says. That's where the fight is. And so Elisha gives us a real good model. He invites these outsiders to come to the table where they will experience the love of God. So like we said, you know, it's an exciting time to be living in this area. Exciting time to live in, you know, Huntsville is now the largest city in the state. Um, more people living in this area than ever before, and that's really great. It's a good thing in so many ways. Chamber of Commerce loves it, you know, business loves I mean, it's a really, it's a good, good thing. That also means there are more people in this area who don't know the Lord than ever before. And we ought to take that as a burden. We ought to be burdened by that, don't you think? You know, as, as great as it is, and we, we ought to have a real burden for the fact that there are so many people in this area who do not yet know the Lord. And so the question I can't shake, and the thing I really wanted to say when I received the invitation to come over here and, and spend a little bit of time with you is, um, what would it take for every person in Madison County, let's just leave it at that, Every person in Madison County to hear the name of Jesus. Like what, what would it take for that to happen? Uh, how many people live in the, I don't even know. It's a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. what, what would it take? And I read this verse in Acts 19, like several months ago. And it's talking about Paul and his ministry in Ephesus and all the good things that happened there. And it says that over the course of two years, Acts 19 verse 10, it says that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, basically the area where Paul was operating, okay, they heard the word of the Lord. And I was just reading it. I was kind of glossing through, you know, I was kind of on my way to another point, <laughs> you know, as I was reading through. And I had to stop. And I had to ask myself, do I really believe that this is true? I said, well, yes, it's the Bible, so I'm okay. I believe it's true. So I had to go back and reread that. And it says, yeah, you go look it up. Acts 19, verse 10, that everyone, every Jew and Greek in that area heard the word of the Lord. So it's happened before. It doesn't say that they all responded to it, right? We know, we know that, right? 
but they at least heard the word of the Lord. They heard the gospel. They heard the name of Jesus. They knew something about this story that Paul was preaching and teaching and talking about and the church is living out. They heard the word of the Lord somehow in, in a, in a pre-mass media, pre-social media, pre-internet era. The word of everybody in that area heard the word of the Lord. How? <laughs> you know? That's, and I don't have, I don't know. I don't know how God, <laughs> uh, he made it happen. He helped. I, but I just think that is such a powerful word for us in where we're living in 2022. In this area where people are like climbing over themselves to move here, to be in this area. They don't yet know the Lord. So as, as attendance in, you know, as, as, uh, as the population in this area continues to grow, you know, like church attendance just continues to kind of go this way. That's a trend that ought to bother us. We need, we need to be sharing this good news about Jesus with as many people as we possibly can. Our great God is going before us. He offers his presence. He offers his protection. He offers his power. And that story has the power to change lives. And when we begin to see as God sees, I think we'll see the people around us, again, not as enemies, but as people in need of grace, just like you and I are in need of grace. And we see the example of Elisha, who invites them to come to the table. And if the invitation to come to church is, is anything, I think it's an invitation, hey, come to this table where we remember Jesus. You know, come and just come and see. Come and see. If, if, this does, if, if his word doesn't somehow speak to the reality of your life and your heart and the broken places and the places where, you know, the things you know about you that nobody else knows about, Jesus will go there and he'll speak into that. He'll speak some word of truth and wisdom into that. Just come and see. That is such an invitation to a world, to, to, to a group of people who, under normal circumstances, according to worldly wisdom, ought to be enemies. Elisha says no. I'm going to show you hospitality. I'm going to show you grace. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to lead you to life. For a period of time there, the relationship between Syria and Israel was even changed. You know? So we have to ask ourselves, do we really believe all of this? We're going to see the way, the, as, the way God sees. We need to remember that this battle is not against flesh and blood. When they flash the song up there, that's a pretty good indication you need to stop, right? <laughs> I know what that means, Okay. I know what that means. Let me close us out here. Tonight, uh, Jesus does invite us to see. Uh, he invites us to see who God is. He invites us to see others in a different way as well. I appreciate your time and your attention. Let me close us out with a word of prayer, and then we'll move on to, uh, to the last part of our evening together. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, God, you are really, really good, and your love endures forever. And for that tonight, we give thanks. I'm really grateful for this church, and I pray you continue to keep your hand uh, on this body of believers. I pray that you would bless their elders. I pray that you would bless their deacons, their ministers, and their ministry leaders. I pray that you would just watch over uh, this flock, Lord. I pray that you would continue to bear good fruit through the work that is done here in this place. I pray that, that, uh, that all of us, all the believers here in this area, Father, that we could unite together under the banner of your love and to share the good news of Jesus with, with the world, but especially starting right here in Madison County, Father. God, I pray you'd give us strength and energy toward that goal. Uh, most of all, Father, I just pray tonight that you help us to see things the way you see things.
Please, please, Father, give us your vision through the power of your word. We pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.